welcome everybody to episode 50 of the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. Over the past 21 months, I have been extremely fortunate to record 50 episodes with 50 amazing people who in some shape or form have had a positive impact and or relationship with the Illawarra football community. There are a whole host of people who have contributed and supported me thus far in regards to the podcast. I'd like to thank all of these people as their help has allowed me to achieve this milestone. And thank you to Luke Nolan for the music at the start and at the end of these podcasts. As stated previously in the other 49 introductions to this podcast, I am sincerely grateful and thankful for every interviewee that has participated and graciously shared their journey. In addition to the podcast, there are the Football United vs Soccer City social media pages, which have been a great source of reminiscing and community interaction. So thank you to the people who interact on these pages. Charlie Yankos is our interviewee in episode 50. Charlie is a household name in our game and in Australian sport. It was a delight to interview the former Socceroo captain. An enormous thank you to Charlie for giving up a Wednesday evening to converse with me. It was an absolute honour to go through part of his immense career. Additionally, I would like to send a big thank you to Scott Cunningham and David Jedrzak for organising this interview. I am indebted to them for this opportunity. Please enjoy this interview. It is an honour to have Charlie Yankos on the line as my interviewee on the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. He has represented his country 86 times, captaining them 30 times, played 305 NSL games and collected many other worthy accolades in his immense footballing career. Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Travis. Now you're making me feel really old. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll we'll start off with one that will uh, definitely get you to turn your uh, thoughts back and the clock back. Uh, You were born in uh, 61 in Melbourne. Um, Where did you grow up and, and what are your first memories of football? Yeah, look, it's quite interesting, actually. I was born in Melbourne. Um, I was around the Newport, Altona area. Um, and then my earliest memories, actually, was I used to be playing um, for a school team. Okay. And there was a couple of us there as young guys. Uh, but we didn't really take up the game right up until probably we were 12. Yep. Uh, we used to do a lot of other things. and We used to kick the ball around and a few other bits and pieces. But... We started training in earnest uh, when we were probably 12 with a club level. Um, and we didn't have a bad school team. So we used to win a, you know, a lot of the tournaments that we were playing in at the time. Um, and we did you know, quite okay. But it, realistically, I think it was around 12 when I really started to get into the game as a young guy. And I guess for, for people in the last 15, 20 years, that would seem... Uh, fairly old to start playing junior club football. Do you do you attribute um, some importance to that time where you're just playing uh, amongst friends and and at school only? Yeah. yeah, certainly, Travis. I think you know I've done a lot of presentations over you know over the years later on in my life, and 
you know, be awarding somebody a lifetime achievement for, you know, being with a club for over 20-odd years and they were only 24 years of age. And we look at that, I'm thinking, what the hell? Like, this is not right. Um, and, you know, a lot of a lot of people, not saying that, you know, getting into the game early, you know, there's something wrong with that. But I think as a, as a young person, you know, I was able to go out there and just do a lot of other activities um, you know, which were which were fantastic, and you know that was whether we played handball or we played cricket or we played football, Aussie rules, whatever it was, just socially with our friends. That doesn't mean it wasn't competitive. Which certainly was very competitive at a young age. However, the formalised, structured, you know, game itself was was when we were twelve, and, and I remember that because it was like you know I went and got a second hand pair of boots that my parents were you know, sort of working class people and, yep. you know, I've got a second-hand pair of boots and I felt really great, you know, <laughs> and, you know, we are playing for both the, the school team and then also we started playing club football, you know, as, as a young guy and we used to ride our bikes to training. <laughs> there was no such thing as, you know, our parents taking us because they were always working. So for us, it was a situation where, you know, we had to make our own, um, how can I say, our own um, path to whatever we wanted to do in, in our lives later on. You know, like we had to travel, we had to make all the sacrifices and, and commitments from a young age. But we were doing it because we enjoyed it. It wasn't this thing about, oh, you know, I want I'm going to be a professional footballer um, or play for the Socceroos. I certainly had ambitions later on. Yeah. But after I, I started playing and I started getting into representative teams, then all of a sudden the view about how oh, representing your country started to be something that we were looking to achieve. And we were following a lot of the English football through you know, the shoot magazines and, the, and whatever we could at the time, just to, as a, a level of interest. But we were there and we were just enjoying the game, you know, just as a with our mates. That was the most important thing, first and foremost, you know, that from the start. Mm. So did you uh, really then uh, appreciate that um, you got to spend even more time with your mates and, and meet new friends when you started playing club football. Yes, certainly it was the case. And I think, you know, I always looked at, you know, my whole career as a as a book of chapters effectively. And that's what our whole life is about, you know. And we achieve certain milestones and we move from, you know, one place to another, you know, one club to another. And, you know, along the way you, you create what I call colleagues and associates and people that you connect with and along the path you pick up some, you know, good friends and you stay connected with them. But over time, what tends to happen, distance pushes people away and it makes it a lot harder to keep connecting um, with people that you grew up with over a period of time because, you, as you say, as you go along in life, you, you pick up new friends and, you know, new social environments and all of those things. And that's what happens as a, as a footballer or, or as a school kid you're going through and then you go from one class to another class to another level where you move schools and all those things. You tend to, you know, you connect with some of the friends that you still have, but generally you start connecting with people that you're in the circle that you mix with most most often. Yeah, they become right. the people that you saw. And, and for yourself, um, uh, I guess for me, looking back and talking to people, uh, school representative football or, or soccer back then, um, uh, probably had a bit more importance to it, um, had a bit more emphasis, and and then your your school representative career was 
was excellent. You know, you represented Australian schoolboys in, in 78 and 79 and went on a tour to Canada and the USA. So it must have been a sense of adventure as well as uh, playing the game itself. Yes, it certainly was. And, and I can still remember that particular tour because I was one of the younger guys that got through and probably one of the, the last couple that was selected in the squad. And I remember you know, Bobby McLaughlin was the coach. Uh, we had a, a tournament or we, we had some sort of game that we played in New South Wales and part of a representative team. I was part of a Victorian team at the time. And we played against a New South Wales select team. And I think it might have been, I can't remember who revealed Cosmos was out or somebody, but we played at a game beforehand. And it was from that that I actually got selected to go to this tour. And I was one of the younger guys in the squad at the time. Yeah. And then there was the slightly older ones, Eddie Kruncevic and... Uh, there was George Christopoulos and there's a whole variety of others that were older, slightly older than us, uh, that were sort of the, the main players in the starting 11th, so to speak, and I was one of the younger guys that came through. But it was a, certainly, it was an unbelievable experience, you know, you know, travelling for the first time, you know, having to put a tie on and I didn't even know how to put a knot together. <laughs> I had to get people to teach me how to put the knot together. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, sort of travelling with a group like that for the first time where we had to still do fundraising to get enough money to be able to go, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, and it was just one of those hard things, but it was a certainly an incredible experience. And was uh, those sort of uh, representative times, um, you, I guess in parallel, you're, you're playing uh, club football, um, but to make uh, representative teams like that, did you think that at that point that I'm going okay at this game and, and I'm obviously enjoying it and having fun and, and excelling. Did you want to take it further at that point? Was that when the ambitions started? Well, it was interesting. I mean, you know, when I was playing at, at school level and then I got into the representative teams yeah. um, and then you were playing for the tournaments then were quite good uh, when we used to have our national championships. So from, you know, the ages of 12, 13, 14, 15, uh, you know, you're being selected and you're playing in those at that those tournaments was something unbelievable. Um, and you sort of got to, to play at the highest level at the, within the age bracket that you were. Right? Yeah. And that was quite good. In the club football side, you know, I ended up signing up for Heidelberg as a 15-year-old um, you know, under a contract as a prospective player, right? And they... At the time, it was Fitzroy Alexander. Then it became Heidelberg, right? As part of the the A League. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't say A League. It was the Phillips League at the time yes. when it started, back in seventy eight, if I can recall, seventy seven or seventy eight. Yeah. And then, you know, I was a young guy going through, and there was only reserve grade and the seniors, so there was no juniors as such through that that sort of area. So, as a young guy, I had to really do my apprenticeship <laughs> um, through there, but. In saying that, you know, playing in those tournaments, you sort of felt, you know, there was obviously an opportunity for you to do that. But football, as I call it, wasn't the only thing that I was doing. I was also doing athletics, right? Okay. Wow. And I was doing other things as well. And you know, I was playing cricket <laughs> on weekends in the off-seasons. And, you know, I was playing table tennis. Not that I was a good table tennis player, but I was just doing that, right? So for us, it was doing a whole variety of sporting activity that we found that was enjoyable, and that kept us busy. We didn't have the Nintendos or the phones or any other things to distract us. 
So for us, it was about doing active sport things because that was what we enjoyed. And and for yourself, uh, you would obviously, as as we all do, get nostalgic at times and and look back uh, at, at times where we were growing up and say, yeah, that was great. And and you talk about those distractions um, as a as an aside. And even though this is a football podcast, um, what about your cricket career? Uh, were you a batter, a bowler, all rounder? I was an all rounder. Not that I did too much, but I used to go there on the weekends and used to sit around and you know have a bit of fun. Again, it was all with my mates. You yeah. know, it was it was that was the thing, and it was just like, okay, what are we doing? Well, I'm not going to sit at home. I'm all, you know, let's do something and you either go through organised cricket or you go on the you know we go to the park at Alt. I still remember the school. It was our park at Altona East Primary School. <laughs> And we used to just go there, and all the people used to live around that area because we used to go to the school there. Yep. And so on on weekends, we'd just sort of go, you know, we wouldn't even call each other. We'd go to the park, and we'd just knock on everyone's house, and hopefully someone's around. <laughs> and whoever was around would get together, and we'd either play cricket or we'd play Aussie rules or we'd play soccer <laughs> we'd play whatever, right? And we'd be doing that for ages and, and ages. And you know, sometimes we'd be, get, start to get dark, and, you know, our parents would come looking for us. Right, um, and that was what we ended up doing. It was just a a thing to do, you know. Or, or if it wasn't that, in you know, you go to a, a a friend that was really close to you, and in your backyard because we used to have the good size um, properties at the time, yeah. and in the backyard we'd set up some goals and we play one on one for ages and ages and ages, right? And I still remember that vividly. <laughs> that was unbelievable. <laughs> For yourself, you you said that you'd signed as as a fifteen year old in in the reserves yeah. for Fitzroy, yeah. who who became Heidelberg. So, uh, yeah. you know, you're very much then still in my mind a, a teenager, um, yeah. you know. But what did your parents think of that? Um, because you you're then surrounding yourself um, not just in a physical sense but in a mental sense yeah. with men. Yeah, it was quite interesting actually. There was a group of us that signed. We were at uh, the Polish club. Polonia um, at the time, and there was just a a big selection of, you know, Greek Macedonian type based players there. And so what happened, they all came at the one time, saw us, you know, there was a lot of sort of representative younger players, um, and I was always uh, playing a year above my age, which was great for me, right? So when I was young, I was 13, I was playing in under-14s. When I was 14, I was playing under-15s, right? Um, And all of that stuff. So by the time... You know, I was always playing. I was one of the smaller, shorter guys in the competition. Um, and then when we got uh, the, the opportunity to go to Heidelberg, to um, Alexander, Fitzroy Alexander, they they came, they signed us up. We were obviously underage, so our parents had to be there. They signed five or six of us at the same time, and they organised a driver to take us to training because it was so far away, right? Um, and that happened for several years. And I wasn't necessarily the best player out of the group that, that went along. However, what I was probably was the most determined player, right? Because over the years, what would happen is they started to drop off and I just kept going, right? And then when we didn't have a driver anymore and I was a young guy and I had to go to school, so I'd, I'd have a school bag and then I'd have my football bag. And I'd, I'd have to catch two buses and two trains to get to training, Right. And I did that for a long time as a young guy to go to training right, constantly wow. and then the same thing coming home. 
Um, and at those days, it was sort of like it, it was dangerous, but not as dangerous what it probably is now. <laughs> and you get to a situation, and you know, after training at eight thirty, I'd be on the red phones because we didn't have mobiles. I'd ring my mum and I'd say, "Mum, just finished training, just about to catch a train. I'm on my way home." And she'd say, "What would you like for dinner?" And she'd <laughs> organise my dinner. By the time I got home, I had something to eat. Beautiful. Right? <laughs> And that's what was happening, you know, three days a week. So. You, you talk about the stuff that you did, the various sports and, and activities, that the, there was a lot of onus on yourself to, I guess, motivate yourself to be determined. Do you think that yeah. that helped you later on in life in, in your vocations that you've then explored oh. in a working career? Look, 100%. I mean, most of my analogies are always go back to sport and, the, and how I link what happened in my sporting career and what I've learnt from my sporting career and how that sort of, there's a lot of correlation back into the business uh, environment that we deal with that day in, day out, or even as human beings, yeah. right? And there's a lot of things that you look at, you know, the half glass empty, half glass full mentality, right? As a sportsman, you can't be half empty. You just cannot, you know, if you want to succeed, You've got to look at the positive and the angles and everything that you need to do to achieve an outcome. And sometimes you have to think on your feet. So when you're playing a game and the opposition's taking, you know, they're getting the ascendancy against you, you've got to think on your feet and you can't buckle down and just sort of fall over and die. You've got to look at this and go, oh, okay, you've you picked up your pace now. I'm picking up my pace, right? And you counter it. And that's exactly... You know, I use a lot of that in my own business environment, in, in the environment now later on in life. Yeah. And I probably did that all the way through my career because we were semi-professionals in a lot of cases. So we'd have to work during the day and train in the mornings and the evenings. So it was the same scenario. You had to be, one, passionate, committed, and, you know, you had to literally, doesn't matter what happens, you had to sacrifice everything to be successful so from that, you realised, hey, what do I, you know, that sacrifice, you had to try to do your best to achieve an outcome. Yeah. You couldn't just leave it to somebody else to do that for you. Even though you're in a team sport, you know, the philosophy for us was you had to always be a player that performed at a level that was a consistently good level. You could have a, a poor game, you could have a brilliant game, but the majority of games had to be very, very good, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be there. They just to get rid of you. You can't be mediocre because <laughs> there's so many people fighting for the same spot, right? And, and that's everything that we deal with, in even in human life, in business, in workplace environments, yeah, right? Everyone's looking for the achievers. They're not yeah. looking for the people that are the, the passive, as we call them, the labradogs, you know, that yeah. are that are supporters. They're not looking for for those. I'm not saying there's not a role for those people. No, no. But most certainly in the sporting environment, you've got to be you've got to be there, and you've got to really try to stand out as much as you possibly can. Mm. And and I guess people um, might look back and maybe Google you um, and and see the YouTube of some fabulous goals and highlights. But uh, and people. Who, who really loved the sport would definitely know of your career. But, you know, you took a couple of years where, you know, you were only getting, you know, maybe one or two appearances in the late 70s with Heidelberg. Yep. And and, yep. and although there was a, a bevy of uh, former Socceroos and Socceroos at Heidelberg, you know, you were patient, you worked hard. And, yep. and do you look back uh, as that as one of the greatest foundations of your career? Without a doubt. 
You know, my greatest mentor, mentors came from that team. You know, there was Gary Cole, Jimmy Tansy, there was Jimmy Rooney, there was a whole host of players there, John Oisendorf, there was Jamie Payton, unbelievable players that were representing Australia at the time, and Australia was quite a good team yeah. at the time. It was very hard for us to actually get into the team, and I think that it took me a couple of years where you're right, I only played one or two games, and I did what I thought was good. However... All of a sudden, the senior player, Arthur McMillan, was a right back. I used to play either right back or left back. Yeah. And the other guy was Jimmy Tansy. Jimmy Tansy was the Australian left back. Like, what chance did I have <laughs> at that time? He's a representative of the Australian team. Like, whoa. And, but in saying all of that, you know, I learned a lot from those players. I learned probably more from those players than I did from a lot of the coaching that I ever had. From as mentors because they gave me life skills, football life skills, because they, they had been there at the highest level. Yep. A lot of them had been around World Cups, you know, in that time, 74. Um, so they, they came with, they could come with substance. They could, yeah. you know, if they said to me, Charlie, do this, I would look at that and go, yes, I know because you've done it, right? And that gives gives so much more credibility for you know, for something for me then to be, I, I believe it. You know? You're right. You let me do that. Um, and I'll just give you a little example of some of even mm-hmm. the, uh, off the paddock. Um, when I got a little bit older, and all my other mates that used to come with me dropped out, there was only me left effectively yep. out of that group of you know six players. I used to catch the train to Flinders Street Station, and then I used to work on a corner. And Jimmy Rooney used to come past to pick me up, to take me to training. We had no dialogue, no communication. I had to sit there, wait, and hope that he came. As soon as he came to the traffic light, I would jump in his car and we'd go to training, right? <laughs> and and it, sometimes he never turned up and, no, I would go to training. I'd go straight back home, right? <laughs> but in, in the car, along the way for the next 45 minutes while we were driving to Heidelberg, Right, I learned so much from him. Right, yeah. just purely all the dialogue, one to one mentorship. He was absolutely fantastic for me. Now, you know, where does that happen? How yeah. often does that happen? How can you get that sort of experience off and on the park? Right, yeah, and that's to me, you know, the couple of years that I had there like that really gave me the foundation, you know, that I really needed. Mm. And and although. Um... Uh, people today would classify that as, I guess, informal. Um, it still was highly effective and and a great learning tool. Um, although you're in a car, you you don't doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter about the environment. It's the person you're interacting with. Yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, they they also didn't make it easy for you, right? And there was a couple of experiences I had. You know, you know, you learn things like Jimmy Rooney. So Jimmy Tansman said to me, look, Charlie, when you get an opportunity in this game, you've got to take it with both hands, right? You've got to. And you just don't give the other sucker a chance. You've got to take your chance, right? And, you know, later on in life, would you believe, I took his position in Heidelberg as a left back, right? As it worked out. But in, in saying that, then I, that, that to me stuck with me. And it still has stuck with me just all the rest of my life. It resonated with me. So every time, so when I went and played, doesn't matter what game I played, but for Australia in particular, right, 
I made sure I tried to get on the paddock. <laughs> Doesn't matter how bad I was, injured, fit, whatever, I wanted to be the player that was going to play there because I didn't want somebody else to take my spot, right? So you do that as much as you possibly can and you do everything you can to be there to be representing your country because if you're not there, somebody else does good. The guy, the coach says, ah, Charlie, I don't need you anymore. See you later. Right? <laughs> so, but you had to keep performing. And that was the that was the thing for me that was really the driving force behind it. Everything for my whole career with the Socceroos was all about that. Playing, like I said before, at a very high level, as high as I possibly could, right, as consistently as I could playing through the Australian team. To be there, and and you're right in terms of that environment and and what people that you were surrounded by at Heidelberg gave you. Do you do you do you look sometimes and reflect and say, what was in my makeup that I um, was it from your parents that you had that ability to listen to soak this stuff in? Because some people don't always. I know in my own life sometimes I don't have that ability to know at that present time. Where am I, when I'm in that moment to take something in, yeah. whereas you obviously were a bit, I guess, above average than other people that you soaked this stuff in, even though you weren't playing all the time in those late 70s, that you were still soaking up the lessons and, and learning. Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. I think you, know, you, don't, uh, you don't go out there and sort of plan it. Yeah. I think it's just something that happens and evolves, right? And so, you know, there used to be things like, you know, it's all about rehearsal in some things. Like, I'll give you an example. When I used to go to Heidelberg, um, and I used to be the first guy there, and we used to get the groundsman would turn up, and I'd jump the fence to get into the into the uh, into the ground, yeah. and then this was the old Olympic Village that used to be in Heidelberg, right? That's where we were playing. So I'd jump over the fence to get in, and then I'd be the first one there. When he arrived, right, he'd get me a whole bunch of soccer balls. And then I would go and I'd practice penalties. Now, this is from a young guy, right? And I just kept practicing penalties, practicing penalties, practicing penalties, and I'd try to hit it near the post, near the post, near the post, and I'd have to kick it. There's no nets anywhere, so I'd have to <laughs> kick it and go get the ball and come back, right? Waiting for everyone to turn up. Now, I look back at that period of time, and I was doing it because I was watching a lot of videos, and I'd watch Pelé, and I'd watch his training things, and I'd see him do it. And to me, I think I've got to do something like that to improve. And it was just the rehearsal. Now, when you look at that and you go back and later on and you go, oh, geez, I was taking penalties for Australia, <laughs> right? I, I think back and I go, psychologically, hang on, I didn't think at that time one day I'm going to need to take penalties, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, was, it was like I need to improve my skill. Yeah. And so I was taking those penalties to the point where I rehearsed it, that eight out of ten times, I could put the ball within a foot of where I was aiming for, as wow. hard as I could. Wow. So that was what my my motivation was, get accuracy, get accuracy, get accuracy. So I'd aim right, left, right, left. Accurate, accurate, accurate first. And then over the decades, I started hitting them harder <laughs> in those spots, Right. Because I knew I could get it in that spot. Now I needed to hit it so hard that the keeper couldn't get it. <laughs> and so that's what ended up happening. And I was just doing it really for a skill. 
And then later on in life, when I was a captain, I was taking the penalties for Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what ended up happening. Your time at Heidelberg, you, you spent several years there. Um, is there a time on the field um, that you look back on uh, more fondly? Um, usually people sort of reply with successes or, or some uh, uh-huh. run of games, but is there a period there where you look back at uh, more fondly than others? Yeah, look, it's quite interesting. I mean, we used to have a lot of derbies, you know, in South Melbourne. Um, and, you know, at that particular time, my, my memories were the occasions and how big those occasions were. And where I was actually, I mean, I think probably one of the best times I ever had was not playing. But I was actually selected in the squad yep. one of the first occasions. And my roommate at the time was Jimmy Tansy. And we went to, uh, we stayed in a hotel the, the night before the game. And to me, that was a huge occasion. As a young guy, yeah. selected in the squad, I knew that I was not going to play, right? even though I took the boots and everything else. Yeah. But I was with the squad, right? And we were preparing and we're there. And I still remember having oysters the night before for dinner. Like, <laughs> it's amazing, right? Uh, in Albert Park. And Jimmy Rooney was, uh, sorry, Jimmy Tansy was my roommate. And then we went and we played the game. And I was part of that whole occasion, right? That, to me, is something that sticks in my mind, right? Because it was one of the first things that I went, wow, this is what is what could happen. You know, yeah. if I get you and I become a regular, wow, I could eat whispers every time I go. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that, was the, that was the thing as a, as a senior player. I went, oh, wow, this is incredible, you know? So when you uh, do you recall your your debut or your first goal for Heidelberg? Oh no, no, no not really. <laughs> uh, probably an own goal. I remember my own goals <laughs> that I scored past Jeff Alba one year was a cracker. <laughs> a missed kick, bang, and he looked at me and went, "Jesus, that's the best strike you've ever done." <laughs> what do you recall to sort of? in that year of 83 where you did make your debut against England um, yeah. in Sydney. Uh, what was the, the lead-up in that sort of couple of months that you can recall that I'm on the radar or did you know you're on the radar? Um, what do you recall of that time? Yeah, look, I was, I was, um, what it was was more about when you were playing for your club and they used to rate you out of 10, right? Okay. And, play, and, they, and you'd read the papers and soccer whatever it was at the time, yeah. Soccer Australia. I can't remember what the name of the soccer magazine was, but you'd look at that and you go, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm doing okay, and they'd write about you and a young guy coming through and all of that type of stuff. And you're thinking, oh, okay. And then, you know, they started muttering a bit in terms of opportunity because apart from the schoolboys, we never had the Joeys, we never had the young group, and yeah. the other, uh, there was under-19s. There was an under-19 World Cup. Um, team was really good enough that travelled in South America, I think it was, right? Um, and I wasn't old enough for that, right, squad. So for me, it was like, uh, you know, you're, you're here, and then all of a sudden, schoolboys was the, the highest level. Then all of a sudden, hey, you've got an opportunity to play for the national team. Like, that was it, <laughs> bang. It was just one chance for the national team. And then I remember what happened there. Really, uh, Les Scheinflog was the Australian coach. Yep. At the time, but he had to take the World Cup uh, for the juniors, right? For the yeah. Socceroos, or the junior team at the time. Yeah. Um, and so, what happened? There was a three-day, three-game uh, 
um, tournament against England and, and Frank Arrow became the coach, right? And I can still recall there was a thing where they sort of said, look, there's the Socceroos squad. And the Frank said, no, no, if I'm playing and I'm the coach, I want to select my own team. It was simple as that for these three games, right? So, okay, fair enough. So what ended up happening, he obviously liked me and said, I'm going to give this guy a chance. And so he selected a squad, his squad, right, to go and play this game. Now, you've got to remember, his, the strategy there was very much foil because we're playing England. I mean, there's yeah. Shilton, there's some Barnes, there's, you know, there's some, some team, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden, like, you know, we're way, way underdogs. So for, for us, it was more about survival at the time, right, and, and do what we can. So, and I remember, you know, the first game that we played in Sydney, it was a tough game, and it was a big honour, obviously, to be selected. And there was a number of players that were being selected. For me, I believed in myself because I said, well, obviously, I'm being selected. It must be okay, right? Yeah. And I, I went there. Then I went, okay, now I've got to perform. Right? I've got to do whatever I can. And, you know, the, the tournament was a tough tournament for the three guys. But by the third game, we started to believe in ourselves. I was like, oh, we're not too bad here. We can start playing, right? <laughs> and we started to believe a little bit more because previous to that, we weren't. So for, for me, yes, it was an unbelievable occasion. Um, you know, there was obviously some good quality you know, senior players in there. So it wasn't that, you know, with Cosminas and all that that were there already. Right? Yeah. Um, it, sort of, it wasn't just sort of like a young team go in there. But I think prior to that, I'd played against New York Cosmos, in Victoria, and we did quite okay in part of a Victorian select team. Yeah. And so we played against some of the big players, you know. So it was like, oh, this is not a surprise, you know, <laughs> sort of scenario. And you had to believe in yourself, right? You, you couldn't get overawed. If you got overawed at that level, you just, you're gone. doesn't matter who you're playing against, right? Yeah. So do you think um, your your selection and then, and then Frank Arrock, himself, his personality sort of uh, suited your mentality and, and, and therefore it became a, a good combination in the sense that you knew what you needed to do, um, you knew the mental aspect yeah. of the game and, and then it worked well? Yeah, look, that's what it was. I mean, one of the things I, I sort of used to do quite okay was uh, I, could, I, I could take what the coach wanted and I could replicate that in the game and I could orchestrate structure that we needed. In other words, if we had set pieces defensively, I knew where people needed to go. So I could orchestrate that and say, you, what are you doing there? You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. You know, so all of a sudden our game plan in a defensive capacity was one of the things that I was put in there for, right? Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't put in the Australian team to be an attacking sweeper, yeah. right? I was put in there to be the person that anchored and if anything broke through, I was there to stop it, mm. right? And I knew that. I knew that from the outset. That's my, my game. That was I'm a pawn in a, a game of chess. Yep. That's the role that I play, right? I was told, don't go past halfway. I don't need you to go and score a goal, Charlie. I need you to stop the goals, right? <laughs> and so when you look at it, we all played a role, and we had to play to, to, for the team's benefit. That's what we needed to do, Right. And then we had, you know, there was Stevie O'Connor, there was Dave Ackliffe, there was Owen Davidson, there was, you know, Graham Jennings. That was that was our roles. We knew what we had to do. And the more gifted ones were the ones that were in the midfield that were playing, you know. 
and uh, Joey Watsons and all that, give them the ball, let them do the work, right? <laughs> and so, you know, when you understood that, and that's what Frank wanted. Frank, they, Frank was very um, structured in understanding how the opposition played. He understood where their weaknesses were and what their strengths were. So he said, okay, you know, and this is quite clear, he said to me, out of 10 games that we played on the top ten, top six uh, teams in the world, right? we will lose eight times out of 10. We will draw one and we will win one. He said, what we've got to try to do is make this the one that we win, right? Yeah. Which is what we did against Argentina. <laughs> so that's what, he was, that was what he was about. And, and he gave us confidence by saying, hey, there's 11 of them. They've got two legs, they've got a body, they've got two arms, they've got a head. <laughs> so have we, you know what I mean? So then all of a sudden you start looking at it and you go, yeah, you're right, man. there's 11 of them, there's 11 of us. <laughs> but yeah, they're skillful because they're full-timers, we're part-timers, but collectively we may have half a chance, right? Yeah, that's right. And that's what it was about. Returning back to the NSL, uh, you finished up in finished up with Heidelberg and, and had a season at West Adelaide. Was that yeah. born out of um, being a, a successful player then on the in the national team and that you were, uh, I guess, yeah. a commodity and, and a wanted commodity? Yeah, look, I think at the time it was opportunistic. You know, you, you, I spent eight years at Heidelberg and it was time to move on to something new and something fresh. And, you know, there was an you know, opportunity there and there was a good, squad and Neil McGacky was the coach and you know it was like oh wow you know small town you know big players let's go let's try to achieve something in that sort of market uh, Robbie Dunn came across as well from Perth so it was like oh wow this is some squad we've got here <laughs> um, but it was you know it wasn't that easy because we had the two divisions if I can recall yeah. the north and south north or something south, yeah. so yeah and uh, you know it was sort of we didn't get through we were in the lower ranks so by that time, you know, it was like, oh, oh, okay, you know, I can't be. When we didn't qualify, when they amalgamated it back again into one competition, it was like, oh, okay, I have to be playing somewhere, which isn't going to be in that level, right? Yeah. You know, I'm an Australian player, you, can't, you know, you can't just be there and not be in that, you know. And that's that's when I came out of Arpia. So that was part of the decision making that you know you knew in your, your your soccer yeah. peripheral vision that. You're part of the Socceroos, and and to be, I guess, amongst that equation, you needed to be at a successful club or a, a club that's 100%, in the, the 100%. top five. Mate, you, you can't be playing for your country and not being playing at the highest level. Simple as that, right? And and Arpia, that that first season that you're there in '87, um, not that uh, Australian football classifies league champions um, yeah. with with I guess great gravitas, but um, you did win the league in 87, so that must have been satisfying to, I yeah. guess, come across there. Look, it certainly was. There was a couple of things that really were unbelievable. We had Rally Rasik was the coach, right? Yeah. Obviously very, very you know, successful in his right because of what he achieved at that time. Um, you know, the squad itself, we had Terry Greedy, we had uh, Tony Pizzano, Backcliffe, and you know, Joey Watson, and... Uh, you know, there was a whole host of players, right? Yeah. Whole host, Arno Batonia. So we had what it was called a nucleus of players that played at the highest level, right? So, it, and Peter Trudenik was there, unbelievable player. So 
all of a sudden, you know, we went 20 games undefeated at the time, which was a record for a long time mm. since Brisbane beat us. Right, that that was unheard of, right? In in that because it was very competitive, um, and you know, we had an unbelievable year. It was just incredible, um, you know, great achievements at that time. Um, and as I said to you, yeah, again, you know, that the whole group, the squad, you know, we we believed in ourselves. That's what it was about, you know. We certainly believed. Mm. And. Off the field, um, it probably doesn't get spoken about it as much. But I'm curious that in a in a part time league where you you're semi professional or you you're pretty yeah. much trying to be a professional, you had to sort of, I guess, think about your vocation and your working life. So, so how much did that weigh in in your decision making as well? That I've I've still got to go and work. I've got to move to yeah. Sydney and get yeah. a job. That's exactly right. The irony of it was, is, uh, you know, when, when I came over here, uh, I was unemployed and I was looking for something, but the football was always the thing that was the driver, right? Um, and that, that's what made me go. Uh, and I, I can remember even from Victoria, when I was there in Victoria, I was working at the TAB at okay. the time as one of their young cadets <laughs> going through, and then I became one of the regional uh, guys that looked yeah. after a number of agencies. Um, and what happened was, I had the opportunity to go to Adelaide, and I'd only been there for, well, I might have been a year or so, and I remember talking to a, an older gentleman, Lance, at the time, that I used to work with, yeah. and I gave him my saying, Lance, I don't know what to do. I've got a, a good opportunity here career-wise, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do I do? And he said, Charlie, you're not that stupid, <laughs> right? Go with your passion. You'll get a job. That's what he said to me. And I still remember it. And I went, Oh, you're right. Okay, football's my passion. I'm going to go. So that's what I did. I got rid of my job. I left. <laughs> and I went. And that was it. And then, you know, I, I used to run health clubs or be part of the Nautilus Health Club um, group. They had something in, in Adelaide. So I connected with them and I got a job there. And then I was doing, you know, health club stuff, which was tied in greatly with football yeah. as well. And then when I came to Sydney, it was the same thing. I went with Arpia and I went, what do I do here? And the club president at the time had some fruit and veg shops at Westfield. Okay. So he said, yeah, go and talk to the state manager at Westfield, <laughs> right? So I went and spoke to the state manager at Westfield. It's just, just a impromptu. I yeah, go talk to this guy. I had no marketing background, nothing, right? No shopping center <laughs> industry background. I had a degree, a bachelor's of arts degree, yeah. right? And I did a lot of other courses and that, but that was it. And I was like, what do I do? And they, they looked at me and they said, can you play cricket? Right, and I said, "What are you talking about?" He says, "We've got a competition head office against the centre management team this weekend in Burwood. Can you come on our team and have a hit?" And I went, "Okay, yeah, no problems." And the state manager said to me, "And if you hit fifty runs, I'll give you a gear, a Telstra." And she's like, "Oh, great, that's fantastic!" So anyway, that was my introduction to Westfield, and I went. I met the team, we played, I made 52 runs, and I, and I got him on the car. I said, give me the car, right? Because we had office, and that was it. Oh, and that's how my career started in, in the shopping centres, and 35 years later, I'm still involved in them. So, yeah, that, that yeah. is uh, just a coincidence of life, isn't it, that that It, it certainly is. That, and what it was at the end, right, it was open the door, okay, you, you've got to have some degree of, passion and, and commitment and ability to learn, right? You're put into a, a situation, and I was here at Westfield Miranda uh, when I first started, and it was like, here you are, 
go for it. And you're going to be in the marketing team, and this is what you've got to do. And at the time, I was still training. Yeah. Um, I ended up going to the Olympics in 88, and I was still at Westfield at the time. And they gave me the opportunity, but I'd, I'd train in the morning. I'd work all day. I'd come back for Thursday nights <laughs> for night training, uh, working, and then on weekends, we used to work. So when I wasn't playing football, I was alternating and working on Saturdays and Sundays. Right? And then Sundays started opening up. And so all of a sudden, we had to balance. So that was the, that was the situation. You had to have a choice. So, right, you had to. So people of that era, and uh, especially yourself, you've, I guess, proven it. Um, the time management skills are, are just critical, aren't they? Oh, 100%. Absolutely 100%. You have to be able to balance and, and do a number of different things, literally, you know, simultaneously. And, and because I was in the marketing area, you know, I'd be dealing with, with one type of campaign and another campaigner. And so everything had to be sort of like, okay, I, where am I at today? Okay, I'll pick up this folder. Okay, where have I ended up? I was here. Okay, now I start from there, keep going, right? And it was just the thing. And oh, geez, I've got to go training now. Put it down. I've got to go training. When I come back, pick it up again, right? <laughs> so, and but you learn. You learn from that. And I think we just did it. We just, you know, we didn't harp about it or complain yeah. or moan and groan. It was just like, okay, you you want to play? You want to get places with the Australian team? You got to play. You got to do it. You want to work? You want to get places in work? You got to work. Yeah. Right? You just do it. It was just uh, <laughs> that. That's facts of life. You know. You raised before about the uh, the Seoul Olympics in '88. Um, it was yeah. a it was a sort of I guess weird um, and and complex qualification. But but yeah. of the, of the Olympics itself, um, uh, can you tell us your Olympic Olympic experience on and off the field? Because it must have been wonderful to be um, part of something that's greater than just ah. football, but included it as well. Yeah, look, I think what was quite interesting for us was that. For, for the squad, we had a chance to be, play there, right? Uh, mm. Because at that time, it was not under 23. Um, it, as long as you hadn't played in the World Cup before, you were eligible. So yeah. there was a lot of teams that had a lot of young players coming through, like the Brazilian teams or the Russian yeah. teams and so on. But you're still talking about Mario, right? Like yeah. you're talking quality players in there, right? So they were coming through. We played them in, in the, the tournament here before right, yeah. the Olympics. So you know, we we sort of had a bit of an experience, and we just happened to be pulling the same group as Brazil again, right? <laughs> as it worked out, um, and it was just Nigeria, and, you know, and so it was it was pretty tough. And we had Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia were you know destined for being a medal contender yeah. right, when we played them. So my my experiences of that was quite interesting. I think the differences between us as semi professional and probably a lot of the other. Um, the other sporting people who were probably deemed as more highly professional, and that's yep. not to say that you know we didn't commit no, no, in no. our in our play, but we were semi-professional. We we were there a little bit larrikin style <laughs> from the point of view of oh, okay, you know, like we're there. It was it was, it was not, we weren't part of uh, you know training. We were training to be footballers, and then oh, by the way, we've got an Olympic tournament coming up, <laughs> right? World Cup's the World Cup, but what I'm saying is that, you know, you look at the basketballers and their tournament was the Olympics or, yeah. you know, you're, you're looking at the runners or athletes or whatever. A lot of them, all they did was train to play at the highest no, level, which was the yeah. Olympics, right? Their pinnacle. So it was a little bit different for us from that perspective. 
And I think what was the greatest daunting thing, and admittedly we hadn't been to a World Cup yet, so, but in saying that, when we turned up and there was 10,000 athletes in a mess hall and, and, you know, in an, and it was just like a city and you're in the middle of wherever and you go, holy moly, right? And this is just enormous, absolutely enormous environment. So for me, that was the part that I looked at and I went, wow, this is something special as an event, right, as a sporting event. Um, and, you know, and you know, admittedly, what happens, you branched off, you did your training as your group, you went to your, your game, and then, you know, you tried to go and support some of the Australians, you know, other games, basketball, we went and watched a fair bit or whatever, the boxing and so on. But you had to sort of pick and choose yeah. as best as you could and try to get tickets. Um, and that was quite interesting as a camaraderie in the bigger team within teams, yeah. right? Like, it was just incredible. And we were sort of, you know, we'd been to Seoul the year before in the tournament, right? Um, and so we knew a lot of the places and where to go and what to do. And so we'd been there. Yeah, um, so a lot of people sort of figure back with us because oh, we knew about you know, where to go here and there and afterwards <laughs> or whatever. And then the social activity started to come up, which was incredible. But then you started to, you know, you Luke Longley's or Damien Keogh's and da, da, da. All of a sudden you're connecting with other sporting people where in the normal situation it would be your own team, yeah, your own right. squad, where this is, you, you become something part of it. And that to me was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. Mm. Yeah, and you must be, and and you should be proud. Um, as anyone that's uh, not just represented their country, but goes goes to an Olympics. Mm. Uh, in '89, you went to Greece um, to yep. play in the first division. How did this yep. transfer come about, and, and what do you recall of that time in Greece? Yeah, look, it was quite interesting actually. Um, I was the Australian captain. Um, we, you know, played against obviously the Gold Cup tournament here. Um, there was a lot of uh, noise that was happening all through Europe about the Australian team, obviously beating Argentina, and then the goal I'd scored, and that sort of interest was there. Um, and our assistant, one of the assistant coaches, was John Margaritas, yep. and he was sort of connected with the the uh, Salonica team, yep. and they sort of looked at and they were looking for someone to go in there to play in the role, expensive role, and so even as an older guy at the time, I think it was twenty seven, twenty eight. Yeah. Um, there was an opportunity and they'd seen some footage and whatever and they said, come over, right? So I went over there. Uh, it was after our game against Fiji, if yeah. I can recall, because I remember I had, my nose was busted and uh, I had to fly there um, not long after the game where we beat them 5-2 okay. in Newcastle, I think it was, 5-2. Anyway, uh, so the opportunity was there to go and sign. So it was like, let's go over there. I, I flew over with John. The opportunity was there. They, they wanted to, to get me on board. Then I'd signed. It was around the Christmas time. And, you know, I had to sort of get up, pack up really quickly and get to Europe and go there, um, you know, for pre-season or mid-season training sort of stuff, mid-year. And um, it was just like an opportunity. I said, well, you know, I'll I go back to the days of Victoria when Lance would say, just do it. <laughs> go. <laughs> so I said, okay, forget about Westfield at the time. I was with Westfield. Yep. in a role, and I just said, sorry, guys, I've got an opportunity to go abroad. You know, yeah. see you later. They said, well, come and talk to us when you get back. back. So it's scenario, <laughs> if you come back. And I signed for a three-year contract at the time. Okay. Right. 
And so my, my experiences there, what the learning curve was, was incredible. Um, the, the, the thing about you know being a semi-professional to go into a, a professional footballing code, even though at least at the time is not like what would happen in Europe, right? Because yeah. I also trialled for um, uh, Brighton of Albion, right? Okay. Um, for a period of time in 83. After the England series that we yeah. played, right, I ended up going and trialling in, in over there, but I couldn't get a work permit. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and I was training there, and Alan Davidson was over in England as well. He was trialling for Arsenal at the time. Um, and and same, so, so him and I were there. He was in, in London, I was down in Brighton. Um, and we were there for about six weeks or whatever, trialling away. And it was just like, oh, you know, it was very hard to get in. Ozzy Ardiles was there and, and Villa. Yeah. They were the only two foreign-based players nice. at the time that were in England, right? And it was like, well, what chances do we have? You know, <laughs> I played about seven or eight times for Australia. What be? I'm not going to get anywhere, right? <laughs> So they went, they, you know, organised a, a work permit for me to play there, um, even though we did quite okay because they were hoping, you know, they were hopeful to sign me up and Heidelberg was going to settle me and all that type of stuff, right? Um, I was up here, sorry, up here. So it got to the point where, no, Heidelberg, Heidelberg. Yeah. And it got to the point where it was like, oh, well, there's no point come back, you know? Yeah. That's what you do. So you know, what I found was when I went to Greece at that time, right, I was so inexperienced. Mm. Uh, my agent and John Margaritas was inexperienced in real terms compared yeah. to what was happening in Europe, right? And the way our thing was structured and what we got and how we, we did it. And, you know, I was Australian captain and, you know, the Greek clubs turned around and said, hey, listen, you know, we've got you here to play for a pub, not to go back to Australia, <laughs> right? And this was like midstream World Cup qualifiers, right? <laughs> And I'm saying, well, um, I'm the Australian captain. Uh, the coach wants me. I'm going, yeah. you know? And that just sort of made it very difficult because it wasn't structured properly from the outset, you know? To do that, or uh, to do both. Yeah, well, it wasn't sort of in the negotiation. It was, well, okay, we're going to get you here. We're going to get you to play here. This is the story. Come over, sign up, whatever. So you go. And But really, the dialogue should have been, well, hang on a minute. He's the Australian captain. So when the World Cup qualifiers are coming, and we're playing Israel, or we're playing New Zealand back here, he's going to have to leave the club, right? <laughs> and and have that sort of uh, dialogue up front, where it wasn't up front. And so but when it came to, hey, guys, sorry, I'm going to leave, I'm catching a flight on Tuesday to go to Australia, right, for a World Cup qualifier, they're looking at me like, what are you doing? Where are you going? I'm not going to go back to Australia. Why? Because I'm going to play in a World Cup qualifier. And they're saying to me, well, hang on a minute, we got you here to play for us, not to go to Australia. And they didn't like that, right? It was quite quite interesting. <laughs> so I guess quite interesting. I guess that answers uh, my follow-up question is, why did you then return to Australia? To exactly, very simple, City? yeah. Yeah, yeah. now it got to the point after after a period of time, it, very, it was very difficult as a foreign-based player yeah. to be there unless – and then – you understand, I understand now why a lot of the foreign-based Australian players find it so difficult to come back to play for Australia. Yeah. Because their careers, you know, again, somebody else takes the opportunity, you you can't get back into your club that pays you all the money, mm. you know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it's very, very difficult. Mm. You said earlier on in the interview that you're a, a glass half full. 
uh, person. Mm. So I, I'm assuming you have no regrets about coming back and and then no. either with Brighton or or with no with Salonica. No, no regrets at all. No regrets. I mean, I remember coming back as well after the Greek stint, um, and then I got calls to go and play in uh, Tel Aviv in. Yeah. Um, with Maccabi, right, in Israel. And it was like, oh, what the hell, I'm getting phone calls at 2 or 3 in the morning <laughs> here in Sydney. And there's, there's agents talking to me, blah, 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 they want you to come up, what do you want? just name your price. And I go, oh, okay, I, I want this much. And they said, you've got to get on a plane, hurry up, get over here. I'm like, what, 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 what are you talking about? I don't want to go, you know. And I remember, you know, even Graham Arnold, they were talking Graham Arnold and him and I would have conversations. And I'm just saying, no, 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 it's not right. And then the Gulf War hit, you know, yeah. around that time. It was like, hey, no, we don't want to be around there. I don't want to be around there. And uh, then I decided, no, 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 enough's enough. And I don't care. And plus, it's getting older. And it was, uh, you get to the point physically as well, you know, what you can and you cannot do. Yeah. And I was getting to that stage where I'm saying, do I really need to batter my body here much more? <laughs> but we were we were semi-professionals. We didn't have the rehab, the rehab recovery situation like it is today to be yeah. able to play to 35, 36, 30. You know, 30 years of age, you're on the downhill. You know, especially playing for your country. Yeah. Oh, certainly. So was that just a, a matter of that the other... NSL clubs when you did come back is that why they'd already sort of made their signings for their seasons and, and that's why you joined Blacktown City? No, Blacktown was actually an opportunity for me. Okay. I wanted to do that. It wasn't you know, anything else. It was more about there and there was a couple of others I was talking to at the time. But I just thought, oh, look, you know, newish club, wanted to get places, had a good sort of structure, let me give it a go, right? Yep. Um, that, that was what it was about. It was just, you know, I had a great time. Of, you know, there, there was no problems at all. You know? <laughs> so, but it was just sort of, it just didn't work out, you know, um, at the end of the day. And then, you know, things sort of happened and I went to Wollongong, you know. It was just one of those scenarios. Well, well I'm, in a, I'm an Illawarra podcast uh, primarily. Yeah. What, yeah. what um, was it David Ratcliffe that gave you the call and sort of, no, so no, no, or, no, or how did that? No, no, this is different. I went out. there for work. I went there for work. Right, I was there at Crown Central. Right? Yeah. I was doing marketing, going back into the retail game. Right, and I had an opportunity to go there, and I took up a marketing role. Um, and it was just like, okay, let's do this. So um, I started doing that, and then it was like, well, you're here. Why don't you come and play for the Wolves? <laughs> right, and that's how it all happened. Right. <laughs> um, and then I had a chat with a club and they said, okay, let's do it, right? And then I signed up. And it was really work-based. And by that time, I'd sort of retired from the Australian team. Yep. Uh, I said, look, I've got to make a career of this. And even though sort of, you know, some people looked at me and said, why did you retire young, you know, in <laughs> real terms, from the Australian team? And for me, it was like, I wanted to do it in my terms. Yeah. I didn't want somebody else to tell me. Uh, what to do? Uh, Frank Arrock had just sort of resigned as the Australian captain. Uh, sorry, the coach. Yep. Um, I looked at it and I went, uh, "Okay, what do I?" You know, like I had a lot of respect for Frank, right? Um, and then it was just like, "Okay, what do you do?" There's caretaker coaching uh, in there, Eddie Thompson, and you know, I'm getting older. Like, like I was saying to you, physically, yeah. I looked at it and I went, "Look, what I've achieved so much." The next milestone, real milestone for me, was to make the World Cup, right? The next World Cup. And that was three or four years away, right? 
And I looked at it and I went, can my body really, withstand. really withstand the training that is needed? And I'm getting older and there's younger people coming through the system. What chance have I really got? Unless, you know, I, I'm semi-professional, I'd have to be fully professional to do this, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I realized that, you know, early on in the piece and said, nah, it's got to be in my time. I've got to re retire when I want to retire and how I want to retire. That's what happened. Do you think as well with your national career that from those early days and those solid foundations at Heidelberg, that because you set yourself mentally and you'd learn a great deal from those great players that you were surrounded by, that you'd set yourself such high benchmarks that you knew that if I was going to do something, I had to meet them and you knew you were pragmatic and, and you in that three yeah. or four years, the body might not be able to keep up with those benchmarks? Very simple. It was very clear for me from that point in time. I had a lot of back problems, right? Severe back problems. I had, you know, stress fractures in my back. Um, you know, there was a lot of times, and I don't know how many people probably noticed or they didn't notice. They probably thought I was fat. <laughs> I used to have a brace on when I was playing yeah. all the time. Ever since 1986, right up until the day I retired, I kept using a brace, back brace, because yeah. I used to get a lot of muscle spasms, right? And, and I used to try to persevere. And I had a lot of, and I knew that I could not physically keep going because, you know, every time you train, you put the same effort in, it takes you a couple of days to recover, right? And you just can't keep doing that. And then all of a sudden you're playing club football, then you're going representative. And, you know, the representative football, to be a representative player, you had to train more than just club football, right? And you had to do that. doesn't do matter what happened outside. You had to do the extras, right? And, to do the extras without the ability to recover, it just kept inflaming my problems. And it, I didn't, you know, I didn't have real enough you know, knee problems or legs or whatever because I was pretty solid. But my back was always severely injured, right? <clears throat> me. So, you know, when you're living through painkillers, anti-inflammatories to get on the paddock, and when you recall what I said earlier, you do everything you possibly can yeah, to get on the yeah. pitch. I did, right? And, you know, if someone told you, that, you know, as a sportsman, you're out there and you're 100% fit all the time, that's garbage, right? <laughs> you, you, you've got to literally perform at the highest peak and you've got to try to be at least 90%, right? And you've got to keep performing in our type of game. Other other sports, obviously, you have to be 100%. You can't be sprint and have a, a hamstring <laughs> tingle and try to do this. You know, and I can understand that. But in our game, you could, you could get away with at 90% fitness because you're part of a structure. You weren't just as an individual, right? So as long as you can perform your task, the others can carry you and they can assist you and vice versa, right? Um, and, and that was what was important for us. Yeah. With with Wollongong and Wollongong City Wolves, yeah. uh, David Ratcliffe, yeah. a, a former yeah. playing contemporary, was it a, yeah. a good thing that he was there when you you joined the Wolves? Yeah, look, it was it was good. I mean, I had a lot of respect for him. There's no doubt about that. I thought he was a good coach, um, and you know, we we certainly had a lot of challenges, and we used to always be rivals when we were on the paddock, even the training. Right? <laughs> he was a hard man. I was fairly hard. We used to battle, but we had a lot of due respect for each other. So, I think what it was when when I went there as well, because of our background, because we'd been you know touring and being part of a squad together. Well, we knew, I knew what he wanted, he knew what I could do, yeah. right? And it was very simplistic, so it wasn't that he had to come and tell me, 
It was like, Charlie, you're here to do a job. Yep, I know, thanks, right? <laughs> and I just had to go do the job. Right? Um, and that, that's what it was about, you know? And, and as time progressed, it became more challenging because I started to get a little bit more injured, right? And I couldn't recover as much. So my motivation was, oh, geez, I've got a knee injury. Um, okay, now how long? I should be out four weeks, but I let me be back after two. Right, and then all of a sudden I get get worse, and you know, and the like. The last season was like, hey, my knees are going, you know, not because not because of the joints or that, but I got a, a big knock on the side of it, like yep. an abscess, right, and it just kept inflaming. I'm like, bloody hell, this abscess is killing me, right? And and so you know, that's what happens as you get older in life. You just your body doesn't recover as quickly, so you got to be you got to understand that, right? And to me, then it was like, okay, enough's enough sort of scenario, you know, and I just got to move on. Because uh, I think it was in the uh, second season and, and, and third season that you were there, I think it was 91, 92 and 92, yeah. 93 that you were fifth and then fourth with, you know, yeah. a whole host of uh, good players and a, a mix of locals yeah. as well. You must have been proud that you were going through these things, I guess, which only probably the coach and, and, and yourself and the players knew about, um, and, and I guess the outside world didn't, that you were still, like you said, a, a cog in the wheel and, and doing your part and, and being part of a successful team. Yeah, and I think, you know, sort of, as I got a bit older, and I was then hopefully trying to impart, you know, some of the life experiences that I, I had on and off the park, like my uh, mentors were. Right, yeah, uh, with that. some of the young guys, yes, most certainly, and and that's what was happening, right? At the end, I was trying to say, look, guys, you know, you want to learn something, come and talk to me, right? Like, <laughs> and I'll share everything I I learned throughout yeah. my journey, um, and that that doesn't matter. It wasn't just necessarily about you know football mm. or what happened on the football. It was more about, I think, the life skills that I learned along my journey about what you needed to do to be as successful as you possibly could as a commitment, right? So, you know, everything that I'm talking to you about now, I'm so passionate about because that's what my life was all about. Yeah. And so when I would talk to somebody else, doesn't matter who it is or what age or what level, I'd be saying the same type of thing regularly because it kept sticking in my head. Yeah. That this is, if you want to be successful, there's no simple solution. There's no... Simple, you can't take a tablet to be successful because <laughs> if it was there, I would have done it, right? <laughs> you know, I was one of the people that, you know, would say, they'd say to you, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, I want to get fit. Here's a tablet. I'd say, thank you. Well, give it to me. Why would I go sweat and struggle yeah, if I had right. to, if I didn't have to? But there's no simple solution, right? You've got to put the effort in. You've got to put the work in. You've got to put the hours in. That's the only way you're going to ever get better at whatever you do. Mm. doesn't matter whether it's a sport or it's a business or whatever, you know. You want to become a better reader, you've got to read more. It's <laughs> as simple as that, right? You know, whatever the story is. You, you, you can't just get away with shortcuts, right? You, you know, you can mask something for a period of time, yeah. but you can't mask it forever. You can't be a pretender in life, right? That's one thing that I sort of have learned through all my experiences and through all my dealings with all people across everywhere. Right? Yeah. Mm. Uh, is there, a, is there a, a few players that you could sort of talk about at the Wolves that you you recall where y you liked uh, 
the way they did things or some of the behind-the-scenes things that you could potentially talk about? Yeah, look, there was a couple of players that I, I looked at. And, I mean, there was David Green, you know, yep. fullback who was captain for a period of time. I mean, for me, I loved his tenacity and mm, his style definitely. and his persistence and consistency. And he was a knockabout guy. But in saying that, you look at it, you know, you knew he was a reliable person, yeah. right? That, to me, was something that I could say, okay, you know, this guy's going to be reliable. doesn't matter what happens, right? <laughs> and he's going to perform. He's going to go up and down, blah, 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 all of that type of stuff that was quite good. Um, and then if I look at another skill set, yeah, that was Bandalo, right, yeah. in there. Um, you know, another a junior that come through, whatever, in a skill, right? Mm-hmm. Really skillful sort of scenario. And so you look at that and you think, you know, there, there was a couple of things there that were, you, you sort of think, well, hey, you know, there is a lot of talent. The Illawarra itself had a lot of talented players, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the question was about getting getting it um, recognised more and more because it was sort of like branched out from Sydney, yeah. right? It was a bit like you know, Blacktown's tucked away, you know, and it, it was not. It didn't come in when Marconi came in, you know, in yeah. the competition and such. Um, and Wollongong was sort of there. It had opportunity, had you know, chance, it had whatever, but it was never going to be a world beater. You know what I mean? That's what was always the thought process. Even though it had a lot of talent, yeah. right? There's no doubt about it. It was well. And it was more like, hey, the Sydney club is going to come and take the kids, you know, <laughs> away from that sort of scenario, right? Um, so, but again, like you said, a lot of fond memories over there later on in life. And, uh, you know, the club was fantastic. And, you know, I, I can't, you know, talk highly enough of, of everything that happened there. It was just fantastic for me, especially as an older, you know, person at the time, as more of a tail end of my career, you know? Yeah, well, mm. uh, for someone uh, like myself who, who was, I guess, in his late teens to, to sort of see you play in those early 90s uh, uh, brought a buzz uh, uh, to myself and, and our sort of uh, my friendship sort of circle. So it was always uh, great to have someone of your, I guess, uh, an elder statesman and, and who had been there and done that. So um, from a fan's Thank point you. of view, we we definitely uh, appreciated your, your stint there. In 93, 94, you. were you um, always going to retire? Was it was it a, a pretty simple decision that you'd made at the start of the year? Look, I think it was it was you know like in your in your mind you always think hey, you know I'd like to keep performing, keep playing, right? But you get to the point where sometimes in life you realise you can't, mm. and my body was telling me you can't, yeah. right? So when you do that, you go, nah, what's the point? Why persevere for the sake of persevering, right? And I go back to the thing, it was fortunate enough, I mean, obviously, was, you know, the club itself, you know, the people who were there, um, you know, all of that stuff, it, it, it was one of those scenarios. You didn't want to do it because mm. you're ultimately, you, you, that's it, that's the career, it's gone, right? Yeah. That's it, it's the end, it's yeah. a decision. And you look at that and you go, oh, this is a, it's final. It's not, mm. I'm going to come back. I'm not going to come back tomorrow or next year <laughs> because you're getting older. You're not coming back. I'm not going to be, you know, I, I didn't retire when I was 25. And they go, oh, okay, 26, 27, I'm coming back, right? <laughs> I'm retiring when I'm old, you know? <laughs> so it was like the final curtain. But you look at that and you go, okay, I've had a good run, you know? And because I've had a good run, I can close the chapter of my life. Yeah. on that moment, okay? And as soon as you accept it and you understand it, it's easy. When I did it for the Australian team, right, I could have stayed there for another four years. 
I could have. And I could have been one of those that was eventually told, tapped on the shoulder, said, later, go. <laughs> right? And for me, that wasn't my style. My style was I'm going at the highest level at my level. And I want to go. Not when somebody taps me on the shoulder, which I knew would happen because I'm a realist. Yeah. Right? And to me, it doesn't make sense just to keep persevering on something just for the sake of persevering. Right? You know, make a call, live with that call, accept the call. You do it and you're you're closing that chapter. Nobody else has closed it for you. That, to me, is an important thing that I do in my life, right? Whatever I do in business ventures, anything I do, it's my call. So that's what I always want to achieve in life. And that wasn't, um, uh, funnily enough, that wasn't the end of your Illawarra chapter in terms of football. Um, in 2002, you, you played for a historic uh, and great club in Helensburg Thistle. Um, I, I'm curious, um, I, I, I think I posted on my uh, social media page which where this podcast came from. Um, I think yeah. there was a picture of in, you in 2002 when the Mercury had run a story. Uh, I'm curious, how did this come about? How did they get you out of retirement, the Thistle? Oh, I don't bloody know. All I can say at the time... What actually happened, I was seconded, would you believe, with Robbie Dunn again, right? (laughs) He was putting together a team for the World Masters in Victoria. Um, And what ended up happening was he said, Charlie, Charlie, you've got to come. We're putting a Socceroo squad together. There's going to be a Socceroo squad, um, and it's around that 88 squad for the Olympics. He says, I'm getting all these people, Arnold, Jeff Volver, Robbie Sabika, all all the squad. All yep. Socceroos, former Socceroos, you've got to come. You've got to come. You've got to come. It's Masters Tournament, yep. Right, it's Masters Tournament in Melbourne. It's going to be massive. And there's all these <laughs> different age brackets. And, you know, Jimmy Rooney was going to be. There's a whole host of people. Not in our squad. They were playing the different level, age bracket, than what we were. <laughs> anyway, kept half of me. I said, get lost, let me alone. Nah, <laughs> you can't come and ring them. You're not, you've got to come. You've got to come. It's all done, sponsored, whatever. We're staying together. It's going to be a great time. And I went one day, what the heck, let's do it. <laughs> right? And then what happened, my nieces and nephews and that had never seen me play. Right? They're in Melbourne. And then I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, I haven't kicked the ball for ages. I'm embarrassed myself <laughs> here. Right? So then that's how it all happened. And I happened to know Simon Weisfeld, right? Yep. Family connection. So I happened to talk to him once. He said, why don't you come and have a kick with us? Come and train. Come and train there. And I'm going, and I'm a Blacktown. I'm working at Blacktown at the time in the shopping centre industry yeah. in a development. And I went, oh, okay, let me come and do a couple of training sessions and we'll see how we go. So I drive from Blacktown after work, go to Helensburg to have a training session, and then I'll come home here in Sydney. <laughs> anyway, that's how it happened. And then I, the first training session I had, I went, Christ, this feels great. I felt really, really good. <laughs> And I'm having a kick against the 18-year-olds and all that. And I was only doing it to train because the tournament was coming up in October or whatever, and I just needed to have some training from soccer training. I kicked, right? Anyway, one thing led to another. And then he says, why don't you sign up and play a couple of games (laughs) if you want to play? And I went, "Uh, yeah, no, let me just do this. I signed. Would you believe I had to sign a contract before mid-year or whatever, (laughs) just in case I played. Anyway. I did, and then we're just training and training, and then I get a bit of an injury because I, you know, played and 
my muscles hadn't sort of got to the condition that they needed to be, yeah. and I'll be tw- tweaking them, and I'll be getting calf injury or this injury. Anyway, then I found okay. Uh, after a period of time, I said, okay, let's play. So I played five games, I think, if I can recall, right? In that, I don't know why. <laughs> and then, then when I went up to the tournament in Victoria, I've turned up and I was one of the fittest. And everybody else didn't, but damn, they just turned up. And I, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> no, but it was good. I, I must admit, I had an unbelievable time. Uh, the, the whole thing, the whole camaraderie, the fun that we had, the laughter that we had. And uh, we, we trained. I trained hard. I trained as hard as I possibly could for an old guy. Um, there with a lot of the young guys, um, with Simon there as the coach. And, you know, there was just some interesting times. I, I remember we played in Barrel one, one day and I picked yeah, that him up. Been, that would have been Highlands. Oh, Highlands, wherever. I don't know. <laughs> all I remember, all I remember is I was driving there and it was freezing cold. <laughs> and I had Simon in the car. And I looked at him and I said, if you weren't in this car, I'd turn right around there and go home. <laughs> and we turned up to the game and it was one of the hardest games we ever had to play. It was windy. We had some young kids in there. All they wanted to do was kick me. You know, I'm telling the kid, don't do this. What are you doing kicking me for? I'm going to hurt you. And he'd say, no, no, mouth and off, mouth and off, mouth and off. And all of a sudden, bang, see you later, kids. Don't do this again, right? Anyway, it was just a... But I had never memories. It was unbelievable memories. <laughs> but I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it again, put it that way. Right? Well, well, I was I asked guess, to do I... it again. I was asked to do it again. I actually did one in Sydney. He, he, uh, Will Masters after that. Oh, okay. Right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. We, we did it, and uh, but we just all got injured. <laughs> we had Craig Foster and Andy Harper, and everyone came on. Right? Alex Tobin and the whole Paul Wade was playing. <laughs> and it was just, that was the last one after that. No well, more. at least your nieces and nephews got to see you play yeah, down in probably, Melbourne, yeah. and and I'm sure that was a, a bit of a thrill as well. You know what? We ended up winning the tournament right against the New Zealand team. Um, we had probably half the squad injured, <laughs> right? We scored a goal in the very first minute of the game, and then we defended like hell because <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't. <laughs> We were so many injuries. Everything, everyone was sort of, hands, I'm off, I'm off, I'm off. Everyone wanted to get off. It was like, I don't want to play anymore. So we ended up winning it. Medal. That was funny. That was funny. Yeah. Well, I think I've taken up uh, probably too much of your time, and, and I sincerely okay. appreciate it, Charlie. And it's, it's been quite a buzz uh, uh, to sort of meet someone that you you grew up idolising um, in the Socceroos, and then I sort of, uh, like many Illawarra fans, or Wolves fans, we got to see you in the flesh at Brandon Park um, mm-hmm. in in those nineties. So it's been a real buzz for me, and and I, I know you're a, a busy Thank person, and, and I really thank you for for giving up your time and and talking about uh, a part of your journey. And um, I, I sincerely appreciate it, Charlie. Uh, my pleasure. This it's actually good to have this chat because it refreshes my mind occasionally, right? Going back into that book. Right. Otherwise, I'll forget it all together. So thank you for the opportunity. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it is here where we finish episode 50. Once again, I'd like to sincerely thank Charlie for the time he spent conversing with me. As always, thank you for listening and downloading this podcast. I am your host, Travis. Goodbye for now.